Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is February the 12th, 2021, and I thank you for joining me. Um, The lunacy in Washington continues. The Trump impeachment trial, part two, um, continuing. Where do we go from here? Um, You know, uh, needless to say, we are living in a very perilous, uh, historic era. I don't think America has ever been put through the ringer. Uh, perhaps short of the Civil War, that we are now witnessing now, created by the political elite, who I I really believe uh, are desperate because they are so concerned that Donald Trump, um, as I wrote in my recent article for Front Page just published two days ago, has become America's whistleblower-in-chief. There are a lot of people in Washington and out of Washington who deal with the federal government in very unscrupulous ways, Uh, for their own benefit, for their own gain, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's both. Uh, The American people have been getting the short end of that very long and hard stick for quite some time, and it is becoming more and more apparent probably to just about everybody. Ask the average American, is the system working for you, and you will get a quick and resounding no. And it's not just COVID. COVID certainly... Um, highlighted the weaknesses, but for the longest time, you have seen a level of corruption that I did not think would be possible in the federal government of the United States of America. Let's begin with this whole notion of what I call bribes and corruptors, bribers and corruptors, the lobbyists um, and the special interest groups that bribe the members of Congress. They try to influence the decisions they make. In fact, they succeed most of the time, and the decisions that they make are not in the best interests of America nor Americans. And that's what's so outrageous. I I was uh, on the phone earlier this week with two reporters who wrote an amazing article uh, for ProPublica about how hundreds of workers uh, at Tyson and elsewhere allegedly died because of... uh, precautions not being taken to shield them from the COVID virus. And I saw the article and I reached out to these two reporters and I said, well, let's see if they call me back. Uh, Do they just want to go with the popular narrative or are they willing to really do some journalism? And and apparently they're willing to do journalism. I was very pleased to hear that. And when I called them, I left them a simple message. I'm willing to bet that if you dig into the people who died There's a good chance, I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but there's a good chance that these were people working illegally in the United States. They knew they shouldn't be working. More importantly, their employers, if that's the case, knew they shouldn't be working. I mean, I saw this pattern as an agent. The reason most people hire illegal aliens, I don't mean the guy you feel bad for or you hire some guy to mow the lawn and he has people working for him. It's almost an inevitability the way things have gotten in America today. But when you go into a factory and there are hundreds of illegal aliens working there, it's not because they can't find Americans. That's 
full. That's insulting. It's they can't find Americans willing to work for substandard wages under substandard and very frequently very dangerous conditions the way we saw at Tyson and elsewhere, if that's the case. Now, maybe I'm getting it wrong. I didn't conduct an investigation. I'm just extrapolating what I've learned in my 26 years as an immigration agent. You know, I spent four years as an immigration inspector at Kennedy Airport. One of those four years, I worked as an adjudications officer doing the marriage interviews. And then I rotated through all the squads within the investigations branch. And I certainly was involved with the investigation of employers, uh, unscrupulous bums, most of them, who intentionally hired illegal aliens so they could exploit them. And so the message I left was very simple. Do you think maybe, because they're saying Congress wants answers. Okay, do you think they really want to know? Do they really want to know if these people were working illegally in the United States? Is that what they're looking to find out? Because that's what we've done. We've created slave labor conditions for people who shouldn't be here. Now, when people call such illegal aliens who are quite desperate to feed themselves and their families the invaders, I get angry. Um, the people who are desperate are people who are desperate, and desperate people resort to desperate tactics. People living in poverty, women may turn to prostitution. It's not a statement of their morality or lack thereof. It's their inability to feed their children. That's the lunacy that has been going on forever. But this is America. We're supposed to set the examples for the world. Some examples. We encourage an army of foreign workers to descend on the United States so we can fire Americans. And if Americans or lawful immigrants do hold on to their jobs, they find wage suppression on a scale that's mind-numbing. Uh, 20, 25 years ago, people working in the meatpacking industry were making roughly $18 an hour. 20, 25 years ago, $18 an hour. Today, they're probably making $12 an hour. So forget about inflation. I mean, you know, if inflation were to run its course, what was $18 an hour 25 or 30 years ago should be, what, $30 an hour today? But it's only 12 an hour, roughly. Why? Why? Because you flood a marketplace with any commodity, you will drive down the value of the commodity. You displace Americans. You displace lawful immigrants. You replace them with people who shouldn't be here. And then you beat the snot out of them. Is that what America is supposed to be about? When they hear this business about we need free trade, free trade. Well, I understand the idea of free trade. I understand the idea that people with businesses don't want the government to tell them how to do business. That's great. So we saw what happened with the Max Jet over at Boeing, the 737 Max Jet that made two smoking holes in the ground and killed hundreds of people. Like it or not, companies need to be held accountable for what they do and how they do it, just the way that people do. There needs to be accountability. I like to make the point that everybody needs to feel a bit of warm breath on the back of their neck when they're working. And I don't care if you're the president of the United States or a guy who shines shoes for a living or the people that work in the fields picking fruit or, or, or doctors who walk into the OR um, and, and deal with people's lives. Everyone needs accountability. Law enforcement certainly has accountability, and look at what happened uh, when cops acted inappropriately. And what I found remarkable today is that the bipartisan, you know, there's Chucky Schumer and his counterpart over on the other side of the aisle 
awarding a, a gold congressional medal to one of the Capitol Police officers for heroism, and, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. But the same Chucky Schumer and his party want to defund the police. So if it's the Capitol Police protecting their fat rear ends, oh, we have to honor them because they protect us. The poor cop on the beat in crappy neighborhoods where crime is running rampant, well, not only don't we give them gold medals, we are going to scrutinize everything they do and everything they say with body cameras. Think about that. We're going to defund them and give them less resources, fewer cops on the beat so that they're overwhelmed, and when they arrest people, we'll release the thugs that they arrest. But we're going to give a medal to a police officer who protected the Congress. Do you see something wrong here? Maybe it's me. But police officers, federal agents, go in harm's way. They put their lives and their well-being on the line to protect those who can't protect themselves. It's an honorable profession. I would argue it amounts to a calling. You don't get wealthy pinning a badge on your chest or putting that badge in your pocket if you're working in plain clothes. It's a dangerous job with serious implications. And the Democrats who want to defund the police and vilify them at every single turn want to give a gold medal. In fact, they're going to give a gold medal to a Capitol Police officer. Again, I think that that police officer deserves the medal. No two ways about it. But I carried a badge for 30 years. I've been in life and death situations. I've lost friends on the job, and I've gone to funerals, and I've seen my friends get injured badly. I had to have knee surgery because of injuries I sustained out there. We put our lives on the line to protect the public. But unless you're protecting these fat cat congressmen, don't expect gold medals, but bricks will be thrown at you by the elected representatives who put you out there and expect you to enforce the laws that they write or maybe not enforce the laws, because look at Joe Biden with his massive amnesty plan um, for what could be 25, 30, 35 million illegal aliens and then open up a tsunami where we may wind up getting inundated with over 100 million immigrants coming to America, the children of people who shouldn't have been here in the first place. I just want you to stop and think about the enormity of that statement. And I was listening to Fox today. And again, the way they describe the people that want the amnesty are the pro-immigrant groups. It's not anti-immigrant to say, look, let's have an orderly immigration system so that we don't let criminals and terrorists and people with dangerous diseases come to America, so that we don't allow people to come to America to take jobs. Biden is out there killing job after job after job, whether it's the pipeline. You ain't seen nothing yet. And I really wonder if perhaps the reason that they're having the second hearing, the second uh, impeachment, rather, isn't so much about Trump and getting even with Trump or intimidating Trump or knocking him out of the box for a potential run in 2024. I'm sure that's all part of it. But I had a chilling thought last night, and you tell me what you think about what I'm about to say to you. Is it not entirely possible that one of the reasons for this three-ring circus that has been going on for the last three or four days has been that while the media is focused on the Senate, God only knows what kind of executive orders Joe Biden has been signing at the Oval, in the Oval Office at that desk. 
He has already signed a record number of executive orders bypassing the legislative process that is part of what is called for in the Constitution of the United States of America. He's not an emperor, he's not a king, and he's not a dictator, but he certainly acts like one, doesn't he? And not just on TV, but when he sits at that uh, desk in the Oval Office. He promises better jobs and more money, better pay, better conditions, but we're going to bring in the potential of 100 million more immigrants who will ultimately join the labor pool, and I want to know where he's going to find the jobs for 100 million more people. As it is, we admit more foreign workers every year than the number of new jobs we create, and Donald Trump stood up and said, you know, this isn't such a good idea. This isn't good for Americans. Let's put Americans first. And collectively, there was a meltdown in Washington. All the lobbyists, all the bribers, all the corruptors had their crooked politician buddies and the news media that has now become the propaganda arm of the globalists went berserk. And they said, oh, my God, how do we deal with a Donald Trump? Now, look, I'm going to be very honest with you. Uh, I don't think that everything Donald Trump did was wonderful and great and fabulous. I mean, I have friends who do. I have one particular friend who I, I'm convinced that if Donald Trump walked into his house and relieved himself on his dining room table, boy, that's an image I don't even want to imagine, uh, he would call it a centerpiece. Well, I'm not one of those. I wasn't happy with what he did to Jeff Sessions. And look at the wonders of Barr. We brought in Barr as attorney general. He's going to take care of that whole mess and did bupkis. One minor lawyer, a footnote, was charged and basically got a slap, not even on the wrist, on his left uh, pinky. Back. Okay. You're getting a suspended sentence, no jail time, no fine. You're not going to be disbarred. But just know we're displeased with you. <laughs> really? That was it. What did Barr do? Nothing. Jeff Sessions went, uh, did what he tried to do. The system protected itself. That's something Donald Trump needed to understand. They look in Washington, the bureaucracy, they see the politicians, especially presidents, as transients. You know, senators, congressmen can stay forever. I mean, how old was Robert Byrd when he finally passed away and he was still in office? The presidents come and go. The winds of change blow through Washington every four years. But the bureaucracy is there forever. It's kind of like when you talk about hiring a lawyer to defend you in court or help you with a lawsuit. Do you really think you're the lawyer's priority? If you do, you're naive beyond words. When you hire a lawyer, if you are lucky, and you might not be, but if you're lucky, you're that lawyer's third priority. Now, you're wondering, what am I saying? Okay, so look at it this way. You hire a lawyer, what's his first concern? Getting paid. You hire a lawyer, what's his second concern? Making certain that the lawyer on the other side also gets paid if this is a civil action. Now, why is that? Because that lawyer is going to be interacting with that other attorney many more times in the future, most likely. They all know each other. It's like a club. It's a club. And you ain't in it, as George Carlin would say. So they look out for each other. Charlie makes sure that Susan gets paid, and Barbara makes sure that Charlie gets paid. And they do that because they want to know that when they're involved in another litigation, that lawyer is going to look out for them just the way they looked out for the other guy. And round and round it goes. Now, after we get done making sure that the lawyers on both sides get paid, if you're lucky, you're the third priority. Maybe, maybe not. Don't you think Washington operates the same way? 
They protect their own unless you're an outsider, unless you're a true whistleblower. Whistleblowers need protection. I know. I was a whistleblower. I was a whistleblower. And they make it difficult. No, they make it impossible. I was at war with my agency for many years. And what they stooped to was unbelievable, even altering timesheets and trying to get me to sign an altered timesheet, which if I had done it, it would have been a felony, even though it wouldn't have changed the amount of money I get because agents, so that you understand this, get paid a certain amount of money. If you work an average of two hours of overtime per day or more, you get another uh, 10%. So it's really straight pay. Think about that for overtime. And anything beyond the two hours a day, you get nothing. So if, let's say, I work 10 hours or I work 18 hours, the amount of money you get paid doesn't change. It's a crappy deal, but it's the way it works. It's almost like being salaried, and I accepted that. We accept the conditions of employment. So when I hear people who are the extreme conservatives, you know, we hate the civil servants. Yeah, well, you wouldn't want the job, I promise you. And the way things are today, I wouldn't want my job back either. But... They altered my timesheet because I was at war with the agency. I'd gone to see Senator D'Amato. I was getting laws changed. Um, I had opposed some of the crazy stuff one of my bosses was doing. The, the guy had a brain tumor. He was ordering people to run personal errands in their government cars, which is illegal. You get fired for that sort of thing. And he threatened them with their evaluations, and nobody wanted to stand up to him, so I did. And once you stand up to a member of management, you are a marked agent. They will come for you. They will come for you. This guy actually threatened to kill me. They never took his guns away. Think about that. And it wasn't as though the guy threatened me. And so I went to my boss and said, hey, so-and-so threatened me. And he said, well, how do I know you're not making it up? No, this guy was so unhinged. He was telling all the bosses that if I cost him his job or a promotion, he was going to put a bullet in my head and let welfare take care of his family. Clearly, he was thinking this through. Now, if you wonder if he had the wherewithal to do it, he had been on the pistol team. He had a small armory in his house, handguns, long guns, shotguns, and God knows how many thousands of rounds of ammunition. And you know what? They never took his firearms away. Never took his firearms away. One of the agents I worked with got angry at a boss and under his breath said, I'd like to see you in the garage, and they immediately took his guns away within two minutes. So if you are on the outside and they perceive you, they, the establishment, perceive you as a risk, fasten your seatbelt. I was asked to testify before the House Immigration Reform Caucus by Tom Tancredo. He invited me to come down to Washington about a week after 9-11. The stench hung in the air in New York for months from ground zero. It was a veritable cauldron. Buildings were still smoldering under the ground. All the jet fuel was still smoldering. Smoke was rising up. It smelled like hell. I don't think I've ever smelled anything worse. And it went on for months. And he said, could you come to Washington? We know you've been before Congress before. We know you've investigated and arrested terrorists. So I did. And I was home with an injured leg. I got banged up executing arrest and search warrants with the FBI and the New York City Police Department. Third time I got hurt in the same leg, making arrests as a contact sport. And then they asked me, would you be willing to testify before a caucus hearing, which is not an official hearing, so we can't give you a subpoena to protect you, but we really need to know what the hell happened because we're at risk. And I went back to New York, and I thought about it, and I called them back. I said, look, if you can get my agency to give me the authorization to go testify, I will. 
The following day, I got a phone call from Tom's people. They said, Mike, we just called up your agency. And they said, not a problem. And then three hours later, they called back and said, nope, you can't have Cutler testify. And they said, why? They said, because we said so. Now, this was just about three weeks after 9-11. Everybody in New York was in shock. I I mean, I'll be honest. I think I still suffer post-traumatic stress. My neighbors were out in the middle of the night. They looked like zombies just wandering the streets, cars driving by with flags and pictures and little signs. Have you seen my mother? Have you seen my dad? Have you seen my son? Have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my fiancé? We never saw those people again. And they were wandering the streets at night. I went out to walk my dog at 1 o'clock in the morning. On some street corners, people were lighting candles. My handball court, where I played handball, because I grew up in my neighborhood, had a big flag painted on it with the names of some of the victims and symbols of the NYPD and the FBI and the fire department and the emergency medical techs. It was a wall of tribute. And people kept wandering in the streets at night. Not even focused. People were walking into each other. I kid you not, they look like zombies. I'll never forget it. And he said to me, Tancredo did, what do you want to do? I said, do I have to make an immediate decision? He said, no. I said, okay, let me give it some thought. And then they showed this picture of the emergency workers waiting at St. Vincent's Hospital for the survivors after the towers collapsed, but of course there were no survivors. So there was this terrible picture of doctors and nurses in their scrubs waiting in the ambulance bay, and the ambulance bay was empty. And that was St. Vincent's Hospital. It since went out of business, I believe, because they had so many people who were here illegally who did not pay their medical bills that a major hospital in New York went bankrupt. Understand what we're talking about, real-world implications. We we want to be compassionate, but we're we're killing ourselves with, with compassion. But when I saw that picture, it was a turning point for me because my first wife had died of cancer in that very same hospital years earlier. It was more than I could take. And then I started to remember something my dad had said to me. And he said, Mike, it's easy to spot a real man. He's the guy who's got the balls to stand up when it counts and call it the way it is. So I agreed to go to Washington, and I testified. And they sent people from headquarters to sit behind me and scratch notes. If I cleared my throat, you could hear their pens on their pads being done to intimidate me to try to shut me up. How dare you go to Washington and talk to Congress and try to protect America. What were you thinking, Mr. Cutler? And the next day, I came home. Next day in the morning, I get a package by overnight super-duper express courier service. I swore smoke pouring out of the envelope. And it was a note telling me I was no longer an agent because I had injured my leg. I was therefore physically incapable of doing my job. I injured my knee. Yes. Can I chase people? No. Am I going to go running up and down stairs? No. But I can walk. I do get around. Um, There were a million jobs I could have done as an agent that didn't involve chasing people. I could have been a training officer. I could have been an intelligence officer. I spent four years as the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA. And I offered to do that. I said, look, I could be a training officer. I could become an intelligence coordinator. What do you want me to do? I don't have to retire yet. I'm happy to stay on the job. I believe in the mission. And they said, no, 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 no. You're not coming back. So I was removed as an agent for daring to testify the truth, just the way they're trying to make sure that Trump will never again be president for telling the truth. In government, the truth will set you free, free to look for new employment. 
I contested it, and then, ironically, I got the final word that my removal had been finalized when I testified before the House Judiciary Committee on how two dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta, the ringleader, and another thug, Marwan al-Shahi, could have been granted work uh, uh, authorization to uh, study in the United States. And what was their course of study? It blew my mind to fly a pilot's license, a program, a flight training program in Florida. And right after I testified, one of the people who used to be a good guy turned into a scumbag, came up to me and said, Mike, great job at the hearing. Too bad you're not going to get to do any more hearings. I said, how do you figure that? He said, you don't have a badge anymore. I said, well, I'm contesting it. He said, oh, we decided you're gone. And what was my offense? I told the members of Congress and the media was present that we had a serious issue with immigration, that there were multiple failures of the immigration system because we have no idea who's in the country and no means of figuring it out. That was my offense. I had testified in May of 1997 about visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States by Middle Eastern terrorists in January and then in February of 1993. January, a Pakistani by the name of Kansi, who had applied for political asylum, got himself a partnership in a courier van service. That courier van had a permit to park in the parking lot of the Central Intelligence Agency in Virginia, and in January of 93, Kansi pulled that vehicle into the parking lot, jumped out with an AK-47 early in the morning as the employees, the officers of the CIA were arriving for duty, opened fire, killed two CIA officers, wounded, I believe it was three others, fled the country. That is something that foreign nationals engaged in crime and terrorism can do that Americans can't. They have an escape hatch. They leave the country. But in the case of Kansi, given the nature of the crimes, our people tracked him down, arrested him, brought him back, put him on trial. He was found guilty and executed, but it didn't bring back the dead or heal the wounds of those that he had shot. One month after that, we had the first bombing at the Trade Center. Now, here's the irony. The guy that rented the truck that was loaded with explosives was here illegally. He violated his visa. The guy who drove the truck also had an expired visa. So... We stopped giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens, but brilliant Cuomo, who's been implicated in the death of I don't know how many thousands of elderly, vulnerable people because of COVID, said, no, 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 we're going to give these people licenses, and we're not even going to share the information with Customs and Border Protection or with ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I wonder if ICE has been giving him campaign funding so he could run for governor. I mean, why in the world would you undermine the security of a country so blatantly when you're the governor of the city on top of it that was most heavily impacted by the terror attacks of 93 and 9-11? And how many more terrorists have been arrested plotting terror attacks in in New York City? And in fact, two or three years ago, you had a terrorist use a truck to mow down bicyclists on the West Side Highway, something like two or three blocks from the World Trade Center, ground zero. So there's such a clear nexus between driver's licenses, motor vehicles, and terrorism, and what does New York and what does Illinois and what does New Jersey and what does California do? They give people driver's licenses, even though they can't prove who the hell they are. And what does Joe Biden do? Well, Joe Biden comes along and says, well, Donald Trump said people applying for asylum can stay in Mexico. We're not going to allow that. We're going to let them come to America. 
And then we'll have them show up for later court hearings. The Border Patrol refers to those notices that they give them, notices to appear. They call them notices to disappear. More than 90% fail to show up. Now, put that in perspective. One guy driving a truck killed eight people. I believe they were from South America, tourists, and they injured many more. 19 hijackers on 9-11 killed more people on that awful day than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And since 9-11, at least as many people have subsequently died because of illness as the result of the toxins they ingested when the towers collapsed. I'm not sure what happened in Pennsylvania. With the Pentagon, there may also be some other cases like that. Nineteen people, and look how many, look what the death count is. Look what happened in San Bernardino. Then you had Faisal Shazad, the Times Square bomber, tried to set off a truck bomb in the middle of Times Square. A truck bomb. Motor vehicle, folks. Now, this guy was here legally. He became a naturalized citizen. We didn't do due diligence in processing the application for citizenship because it was less than a year after he became a citizen that he set off the car bomb that went fizzle instead of kaboom. Same thing with, five, with the, the, the bombers of the marathon in Boston in 2013. One was a naturalized citizen. The family had applied for political asylum. And shortly after they got political asylum, they went back to Russia. Now, asylum says, I can't go back because my life is in danger because of race or religion or ethnicity or political belief or sexual orientation. It's very clear. Not because of economic conditions. It's not an economic refugee. It's political refugee. Okay? So Donald Trump did the right thing. Now, whether you like Trump or not, one of Donald Trump's biggest problems was he did not know how to articulate his ideas in a way that would make sense to people. going to be blunt. I was going to teach debate on the college level. I would have flunked him. I mean, the first debate wasn't a debate at all. I'm not sure what that was. Maybe it was a barroom brawl. I just have no idea what he was thinking. And the second debate, everybody, to use the Yiddish term, was quelling, bragging. Oh, what a great job. Uh, let me tell you, if I did in my high school debate what Trump did in the second debate, they would have thrown me off the team. I don't even want to think about college. I did a presentation for a Republican uh, club, a Republican Party club on Long Island, uh, a couple of days ago by Zoom. The way things are with COVID, I, I'm careful to try not to get out there too often. I'm trying to, you know, not wind up in the ER. But I said something, and it resonated. I said to these folks, and I, I got feedback. I said, do you know the border wall that Trump built isn't designed to keep anybody out of the United States? And they were surprised. What do you mean? Is no why you put the wall up? I said, no. The wall was constructed to not keep anyone from being denied. It wasn't designed to keep people from entering the United States, but to funnel everyone through a port of entry so that they can be interviewed and vetted, and if they're admitted, we can create a record of their entry. The same thing with cargo, so that we don't allow narcotics and contraband into the United States. They just found a warehouse filled with counterfeit N94 masks. Isn't that something? Probably from China. They give us the COVID virus, and now they're selling masks that are counterfeit that don't protect people, so that's going to cost more people their lives. What a screwing that is. Think about that. By the way, you may not know this, but a few about a year ago or eight months ago, whatever it was, there was an advertisement that they were actually selling COVID virus board games, and someone checked it out and told me that those board games are made in China also. Talk about adding insult to injury. Talk about chutzpah. 
But the border wall isn't designed to keep people out of the United States. That's the big lie. The wall of hate trying to keep Mexico. No, it's not that at all. If the wall was supposed to keep people out of the United States, then it would have blocked off the ports of entry. But it doesn't. So the border wall was designed to make certain that nobody could evade the vetting process. So let's look at that and ask yourself a question. If you were getting on an airplane and saw people sneaking past TSA getting on your plane, would you be willing to get on that airplane? Of course you wouldn't. I asked that question to Fox and Friends first last year. And Julianne let out a little squeal and said, oh, my God, no. I said, okay. Then why are we being forced to live among millions of people who've evaded a very similar vetting process we conducted ports of entry? So Donald Trump was the guy that highlighted all this. We're not going to let in the terrorists. We're not going to let in the drugs. We're not going to allow in the gangbangers. And look at all the people making money off of the drugs, and not just the drug dealers, folks. If you took drug money out of banking, Wall Street, real estate, high-end auto sales, high-end jewelry sales, they would take a major hit. Everyone is literally and figuratively making out like bandits. It was funny about the human trafficking and the sex trafficking. Whatever happened, I wonder, at the risk of sounding like the late, great Andy Rooney from 60 Minutes, you ever wonder whatever happened to the Me Too movement? And suddenly you found out you had how many political degenerates and suddenly Me Too went poof? Kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? Me Too went poof because suddenly all these politicians were hooked into Epstein and all these other cretins and sociopaths uh, and deviates. Poof. It was close, hitting too close to home, their home. Just like now. Um, they, the, the, the attackers attacked the Capitol. Oh, my God. It was horrible. Whoever did it should go to jail and spend lots of time behind bars. But why aren't we hearing that about the people that destroyed businesses in places like Seattle and Oregon and New York and elsewhere? I drive through New York now and it breaks my heart. Many businesses that are closed are not coming back. New York City is, is a shadow of what it was in part because we have an imbecile for a governor and an imbecile for a mayor, the dynamic duo of de Blasio and Cuomo. But the politicians don't care about that, not their business. There's a store that I used to love to go to, and they were expanding across the country. They just opened up a store in Florida. The company was Century 21. When you read the story of how this company was built by these immigrant family who came here and, and, and built the business over generations, great store. I, I bought almost all my stuff there. there pleasant people. It was very well run. It was a spotless place to go shopping. It's gone not coming back you think the politicians care of course not it's not their business it's not their family and it's not their city who cares but when the rioters attack the capital now they care this is hitting close to home we work in that building well what about the people that work in buildings here in new york city that were leveled do they care of course not no skin off their fat noses you see and so the American people have come to understand that the government is not working on our behalf. They're not working for our best interest. And the first guy to really sound the alarm in a meaningful way, like him or not, was Donald Trump. He was the guy that stood up, even called out the Democrats for rigging the election against what he called Crazy Bernie. And they did. 
They had super delegates. Super delegate. Does that mean they were wearing red capes? What the hell's a super delegate? You know, all animals are created equal right out of Animal Farm and George Orwell in 1984. The system is rigged. And Donald Trump won the election that Hillary was supposed to win. It's all scripted. It's all scripted. You have to wonder how many elections aren't being rigged around the United States. Now, does that mean that Donald Trump definitely won the election? I don't know. But there were many irregularities, and I see where uh, there's a case going forward in Georgia about voting regularities. But the dangerous thing is when you start to say, I don't know whether he really lost, that's a big problem because then government stops having legitimacy. And I remember taking a class in political science back in Brooklyn College many years ago. I, I took all kinds of crazy classes. I was originally an engineering major, lost my parents, and my ability to study evaporated. So I kind of took a little bit of everything, including criminology, sociology, anthropology, political science, but I majored in communications. I have a BA and BS, I like to call it. But I'll never forget my political science teacher saying that when the people lose legitimacy or government loses legitimacy in the eyes of the citizens, almost inevitably revolution is the result. And right after Trump was elected, what did we hear? I never heard this before in this country. Not my president. Not my president. We didn't hear that when Obama won. We didn't hear that when, when Bill Clinton won. We didn't hear it when Ronald Reagan won. Not my president. And those words sent a chill down my spine because this calls into question the legitimacy of the government. And look at what's happened since then. Not my president. Not my government. So Donald Trump stood up and he said, look at what they're doing to Paul Bernie. He's supposed to be the nominee. What do they do? How do they engineer it? How do they rig it so that the man who probably won lost? And the political establishment had to be freaking out. My God, he's giving up state secrets. People aren't supposed to know that the system is rigged. They're not supposed to know that the fix was in. Panic started to set in. And so what you saw was a, a no-holds-barred attack on Donald Trump. We've got to shut this guy up. We've got to delegitimize him. We've got to get him to stop talking, and we can't shut him up. If he was any other politician, they would defund his campaign. The Republican Party was not happy with my friend Lou Barletta, who was the mayor of Hazleton, the first mayor to enact immigration ordinances, not because he was a xenophobe, but because his town of Hazleton hadn't had a murder in many years, suddenly had, I believe, two homicides within something like three months because the Dominican drug gang set up shop in his town. And that brilliant president, George W. Bush, the man who thoroughly undermined immigration enforcement by the way he created what I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender, splitting immigration in half, you know, Customs and Border Protection and ICE, that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. The Homeland Security Act didn't call for that. They weren't supposed to mix immigration with customs and agriculture and TSA and Secret Service. It was supposed to be one agency to enforce the immigration laws, period. George W. Bush was determined to eradicate border security and immigration law enforcement. And when I tell my friends the conservatives, you know what they say to me? Oh, he was a neocon. He was a rhino. I said, no, he was a president. He was the leader of the Republican Party. Why is it that Americans aren't willing to take a hard look at their own party? They're still playing this idiotic game. Oh, he's bad because he's a Democrat, or he's bad because he's a Republican. No, 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 folks. First of all, for the most part, they're Republicrats. 
you give those politicians an opportunity to screw Americans and they will trip over each other to vote for it. In fact, during the first impeachment trial, the Senate voted for some very bad laws that would have flooded America with H-1B visas, and Trump said, no way. Well, Biden's going to do it now. So Joe Biden, the guy that's promising everybody a great job, even after he fires everybody of the Keystone Pipeline, and now they're going after other pipelines, and the people demanding that the next pipeline be shut down are the people that fly their own private jet planes. Those damn things pollute more than anything you could imagine. But they're above it all because they're celebrities. These are people that can't issue a coherent sentence without a scriptwriter. But we're supposed to listen to them about the environment. Think about this. Boy, Shakespeare was right when he said, all the world's a stage, huh? What a bunch of bad actors we're talking about here. So again, we're going to now bring in many more foreign workers to take the high-tech jobs. Another screwing for Americans, because that's what Silicon Valley wants, because they don't want to pay the wages that Americans should be paid. So when I called up these reporters, going back to what I started to say, they're actually interested in what I said to them. One of the reporters said to me, and this is about the Tyson business with COVID, how do we prevent the illegal aliens from getting employed in the United States the way they are? How do we make the laws enforceable? I said, do you really want to know an answer to that? He said, yeah. He said, is it E-Verify? I said, well, in part, but you need more agents because if you make E-Verify a requirement, then aliens will simply look to get involved in marriage fraud or find other fake ways of getting green cards. <clears throat> he said, so what's the, if there's one thing we could do to make sure that the immigration system really works to protect American lives and American jobs, what's the one thing we need to do? So what do you think I said, folks? What's the one thing that we really need to do so that the immigration laws protect the lives and jobs of Americans? It's easy. Only one thing you need to do, stop campaign contributions, the bribes. The systems that don't work don't work because they're designed to not work. These are failures by design. They're, failed to design, they're designed to fail because the politicians have been bought and paid for. Think of the employer-employee relationship and apply it to the lobbyists and the politicians who get the money. You work for a boss, you do your job, at the end of the week your boss gives you a check for the services you provide. Isn't that what campaign contributors do? They tell the politician how they're supposed to vote and on what issues and so forth. And then if the politicians are good little boys and good little girls and do as they're told, the campaign contributor takes out his or her checkbook and says, here's your money. If a police officer pulls you over for speeding and you hand them a 50, you're going to wind up in handcuffs. If you're a campaign contributor and you give the politician that writes the speed limits money, then they'll change the speed limit on the highway, and that's legal. I just want you to think about that. We need a new position in our government. It's the official auctioneer. We need an official auctioneer so we know what we're buying when, when, when these campaign contributions are given out. I, I've often said that Air Force One should be much like the racing cars. You ever watch a racing car? It has all the decals on it, you know, the companies that sponsor the team. So it's cigarettes and booze. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, condoms. God only knows. There's enough screwing going on here, you would think. Well, maybe they should have all those decals 
all over Air Force One. And maybe when the president puts on his suit in the morning, it ought to be like the race drivers, and they put on their Nomex racing suits. Again, they have all the, the logos, all the, the decals of all the sponsors. Shouldn't Joe Biden have, have those on his jacket, too, so you know where the money's coming from? When Donald Trump came in, uh, they, they were upset they couldn't pull the strings the way they did to my friend Lou Barletta. Lou Barletta is a guy that believes in secure borders and enforcing the immigration law. But he wasn't able to do as much as he wanted in the House, and then there was a Senate seat opening up in Pennsylvania, his home state, and he ran, and the, and the Republican Party basically defunded Lou's campaign. Now, you figure out why. The only thing that I could imagine that would have wanted, that would have motivated the Republicans to not want Lou to defeat a Democrat is his position on immigration, because immigration is the most significant issue, even though it's never portrayed that way. I, I want to read something to you. First of all, I, I hope after my program, by the way, that you will go and, and check out uh, my latest article for Front Page Magazine. And, and this goes back to exactly what I've been saying. The, the title of my article is Donald Trump was America's whistleblower-in-chief, the exposed endemic corruption in the D.C. cesspool. I mean, isn't that what he did? Again, I didn't agree with everything he said. I didn't agree certainly with the way he said things. Uh, it's kind of like if you folks are old enough to remember that great Paul Newman movie, Cool Hand Luke, where he gets into trouble with the warden of the prison, and the warden says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Well, that's what we had with Donald Trump. If he had explained that the wall wasn't designed to keep people out of the United States but just make certain that everybody gets inspected, it becomes a very different conversation, doesn't it? I wish that Donald Trump had approached things differently. And instead of that dumbass Twitter account, which they've now shut down, he should have done what he did towards the end of his presidency and sat in the Oval Office and looked into the camera without any distracting reporters and had a conversation once a week with the American people. I think it would have been a very different administration. The travel ban was really an entry restriction, and it had nothing to do with Muslim-majority countries, everything to do with countries that sponsor terrorism, and for a number of reasons, their citizens could not be properly screened before coming to the United States. That's what it was about. Very simple. Not complicated, not hard to understand. And I also made the point that when we talk about draining the swamp, we really should call it a cesspool. I'll just read this paragraph at the beginning of my piece the term swamp to describe the pervasively corrupt district of columbia should be replaced by the term cesspool swamps are natural elements of our planet's ecosystem and are home to many forms of plant and animal life and are therefore essential to our environment cesspools however are entirely artificial filled with fetid rotting feces and detritus and there's nothing good to be found in cesspools okay there is a division within the Justice Department that investigates allegations of reprisals against whistleblowers. So, as you might imagine, you have to define what a whistleblower is. Here is how the Office of Special Counsel for the U.S. Department of Justice describes whistleblowers. A whistleblower discloses information that he or she reasonably believes evidences a violation of any law or rule, an abuse of authority or regulation, a substantial or specific danger, gross mismanagement to public health, a gross waste of funds, and a substantial and specific danger to public safety. 
sounds like we're discussing our government, doesn't it? So when we talk about immigration, let's go back to the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, because Joe Biden seems to think there's no reason to worry about securing our border. And this is why I only wish that Donald Trump, instead of asking Joe Biden, can you say law enforcement, Joe, which was idiotic, should have asked him, have you read the 9-11 Commission report, Joe? That would have been my question. So let me read this. This is the first paragraph of the preface to the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for the reasons we discussed in the following pages, that it must be made one. Well, Donald Trump understood that. Obama didn't. George W. Bush certainly didn't. Trump did. So think about it. W. was a Republican. Obama was a a Democrat. And they both saw eye to eye. No border security here, folks. Trump comes along and messed that up. Biden comes along and is undoing everything Trump did, isn't he? Now, it's very disconcerting. One of the things that that Trump did that I thought was really brilliant was working out an arrangement with Mexico so that aliens seeking asylum would have to wait in Mexico until their applications were adjudicated. That kept them out of America. We don't have the resource to to look for them. Again, failure by design. 6,000 ICE agents, and if we're lucky, the agents are spending less than a third of their time on immigration work. So effectively, we have 2,000 ICE agents. And we probably have 25 million illegal aliens, and it's not just about looking for illegal aliens. It's working on terrorism task forces, drug task force. I spent 10 years on the drug task force. It's about going after employers. It's about doing background investigations. It's ridiculous. No way we have the resources. Biden has said that next week people in Mexico seeking asylum will be permitted into the United States. Where is the gain for America? Where is the gain for America? This is encouraging, in my judgment, an invasion. By the way, this is unconstitutional. This, to me, should be an impeachable offense. But what do I know? I'm not a constitutional scholar. Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says the following. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. And an application of the legislature or of the executive of the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. You look at the gangs and the terrorism and the narcotics. Is that not domestic violence? Invasion, by the way, is defined as an incursion by a large number of people or things into a place or sphere of activity and unwelcome intrusion into another's domain. Is that not what we're witnessing? I, I want to read this to you about people applying for asylum and that link to terrorism. This, again, is the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. And again, that was the topic of my very first hearing four and a half years before 9-11, because of the 93 attacks, right? For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories. 
people lie on those applications. Biden, by the way, has said they will not be prosecuting people who lie on the applications, even though it's a felony. And by the way, if you lie on a visa application and you're involved in terrorism, it's supposed to call for 25 years in jail, but apparently not with Mr. Biden. He needs to explain this to the American people. How is this good news for America or Americans? It goes on and says this. For example, Yusuf and Ajaz concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and landmark plots, received temporary residence under the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program after falsely claiming he picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. As I told you before, this guy was an illegal alien. He then applied for permanent residency under the Agriculture Worker Program, but was rejected. Iyad Mahmoud Ismail, who drove the van, that's the other illegal alien that contained the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa, but after he dropped out, he remained in the United States out of status. Out of status means he was here illegally. Let me just read this other section to you. Again, when you think about Biden letting in God knows how many thousands of people seeking asylum, and we don't know if these are valid claims, and if they disappear, there'll be nobody to look for them. This is on page 98. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. By the way, that's exactly what DACA was, temporary worker status or applying for asylum after entering. Here we go again, applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. Why in the world is the President of the United States of America, Commander-in-Chief of our armed forces, now going to undo a program that protects America from terrorism and permit people into the country while their applications are being adjudicated, when there you have on page 98 exactly the way this opens the door, literally and figuratively, to terrorists who want to kill us. Is that not an impeachable offense? There's actually a mechanism in place created by Donald Trump. Like him, hate him, I don't give a crap. What he did was brilliant and protects us. Why would Joe Biden leave us vulnerable to terrorists? He needs to answer the question. Finally, I want to read this to you, if I can get to it. Gosh. There's also been many reports written about how the asylum process has been used by terrorists. And and so, again, what in the world are we doing? But finally, on April 17, 2018, the House Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee conducted a hearing on the topic State Sponsors of Terrorism and Examination of Iran's Global Terrorism Network. And as I read this to you, I want you to think of the caravans heading for the border, Joe Biden letting them in, and... Iran working feverishly to get nuclear weapons, okay? Think about this. Um, Here is a quote, and I wrote about this for Front Page Magazine, but here is a quote from Dr. Emmanuel Odolenghi of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. 
and he testified at that hearing, and nobody disagreed. Sometimes you get a lot of contentious disagreement. Everyone agreed that he was right on the money. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks, notice I said Hezbollah Latin America, we keep thinking Middle East, there were tens of thousands of members of Iranian um, shock troops, Hezbollah and Hamas agents operating throughout Latin America with human traffickers and drug smugglers, and here's the statement. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. Cooperation includes the laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system, and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shia's communities loyal to its cause and complicit in its endeavors. This next paragraph wakes me in my sleep at night at least a couple times a week. I kid you not. This toxic crime terror nexus, that is Hezbollah and the traffickers of humans and drugs, this toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America. Latin America, folks, south of that border that Biden does not want secured, okay? Across Latin America that is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America, Latin America. It is thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists and a continent-wide terror infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. When George W. Bush took actions that were dangerous, it was the Republicans who controlled the House, and, the, and they had me come and testify. In fact, I was told by members of the Republican delegation in the House that frequently when I testified before Congress, George W. was watching, and I infuriated him. In fact, I was told that when my name was spoken in the Oval Office, he would frequently get furious. I wish I had a video of that. Will anybody hold Biden accountable for undoing measures put into effect to protect our country and our citizens from terrorism and gangs and drugs and destroy jobs and wages for Americans. That's what this is about. This isn't about xenophobia, and it's certainly not anti-immigrant to want to protect this great nation and all who live here, including the members of the immigrant community. And it's fact that members of the ethnic immigrant communities were most likely to fall victim to the violence of the transnational gangs, and not just from Latin America. Human nature is human nature. As an agent, I've arrested people from all over the world, and the pattern is always the same. The bad guys move in to those neighborhoods where people similar to them live, and we're talking about ethnic immigrant communities. We need to make Biden accountable. We need to make the politicians accountable, and we need to have the conversations with our neighbors, and we have to remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Please check out my articles and forward them to everybody you can at frontpagemag.com. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Be well. See you next week right here.